I'm uh, Don Thompson. I am the Director of Global Health Outreach at the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. We're the short... What? Your mic is in and out. Okay. Well, can you hear me without my mic? Sure. Good. I'll just keep talking. Cal, if you need to sit up here so that you can hear me better. Um, Cal and I have a history, so it's mutually supportive in some ways. Um, Where was I before I was distracted? Um, Global Health Outreach is the short-term medical missions arm of the Christian Medical and Dental Association. So I'm going to be talking about different opportunities that we have to serve, but I'm not just going to come out and give you a list, a grid of places you can go. We have one of those on, on our website. You can't find it, but it's actually there. There's an international rotations handbook that talks about that. And what I'm going to really do is go deeper and talk about um, how you would pick where you might serve and why you might pick those certain areas where you might serve and then what kind of prep ought to be behind and uh, encouraging you in direction A or direction B or direction C. Um, So these days we are presented with a whole lot more um, opportunities to serve than we ever have in the past, many more than just a generation ago. Um, It's a lot easier to get from here to there. Uh, Airline flights have become more copious, and more and more countries are open. Needless to say, I'm not saying any of that because that's for you to read and and for me to not say. Um, But there are many commands and many exhortations in the scriptures that can help guide us in our service, in the area of motives, in the area of the type of service we might do, and then sometimes, sometimes even in the location where we serve. So there are really four Areas that I'm going to that I'm going to look at as far as why should we serve, and these are in summary serving God, serving man on behalf of God, to respond to God's call on our lives, and then to depend on Him as we suffer and persevere. Not if we suffer and persevere, but as we suffer and persevere. So you see, you can see the references up there. But um, we're going to unpack this whole concept of service. What is it? Why is it? And then we're going to look at the questions we should consider, the questions each of you should consider daily as you look at what you should be doing and how God is calling you to serve, to suffer, to persevere. So where you serve will depend on lots of things. It's going to be, it needs to be focused on how God is specifically calling you. God is calling you to serve. And what's important is to figure out how he is calling you and how he is preparing you. He prepared you yesterday for what you're doing today. He's preparing you today for what he's going to call you to do tomorrow. So we, we tend to look at this as, okay, A or B, zero or one. I'm either preparing to serve or I'm serving. Well, actually, you're always serving to some degree. The question is, are you serving the way God wants you to serve? And you're always preparing to serve maybe more in what you're doing, maybe more effectively in what you're doing, or maybe there's going to be a 90-degree turn. So so look at that in, in that continuum of always being prepared to always serve and always being open to how God may be calling you to serve a little bit differently. 
If you're married, you should be serving your spouse. That's the second priority. That wasn't in my notes, but it seemed to be the appropriate thing. So, so some of those calls are very, very, very clear. So you have to look at your goals. You have to understand your goals. You have to be ready to change your goals depending on what you learn as you prepare. And then you need to make sure your goals are in tune with God's big picture, God's big picture will for glorifying himself because your focus is glorifying God. Um, we can look at some other verses that talk about that if, you, if you'd like. I talked about them a little bit yesterday. I did a, a workshop on um, biblical basis of healthcare ministry, I believe. And it's, you don't have to read between the lines to, to see what God's focus is. And it's on glorifying him. It's not making you happy. It's not making you feel good in how you're serving. It's on glorifying, glorifying God. The great thing is he calls us to serve him. He calls us to suffer. He calls us to persevere. And he enables us to do every one of those things. And it just doesn't get better than that. So, so you need to understand your goals. You need to make sure your goals are always in sync with God's big picture will for glorifying himself through you. And then you have to understand a lot of specifics about you. And again, you've got to be ready to hear from him or from whoever he is using to speak into your life. And that might be that second person I mentioned serving. And, uh, Cal, that means your spouse. Uh, just making sure. Um, sometimes God uses our spouses to speak into our lives. So lots of personal specifics. Oh, that's happened to you guys too, eh? Oh, goody. Yeah. She'll invite you. Um, so there are, there are different types of service or different areas for service or different durations of service. These often depend on your call. They depend on your goals, and they depend on your preparedness. So we're going we're gonna to unpack this in a much greater degree. Is he calling you to long-term international work? Well, maybe. Or is he calling you to something domestic? How will you figure this out? What steps will you take to determine his call? John Piper says that everyone should consider, should just start off with the blanket assumption that God is calling you to make disciples outside of the U.S. You're being called to disciple making outside of the U.S. Unless he makes it very clear that you're to stay here in the U.S. So, so he says just start off on that assumption. The assumption is to make disciples as you are going and teaching to the uttermost part of the world. That's in Matthew 28:18 through 20, one of the great commissions of the five great commissions. So, so make disciples as you are going, and then there's that little uttermost part of the earth that's in there. So, again, that's Piper's conclusion, is just assume that God is already calling you to go internationally. I heard a statistic not too recently that said, well, actually it was just a year or so ago, that 95% of seminary graduates at this particular seminary, we're staying in the U.S. Only 5% were doing some kind of international work. That was during missions week, so it was by somebody who is biased. I'd say he's biased because he's reading his scriptures. So so consider that that you're being called. Now, that may be a long process, and we'll certainly unpack that. And I'd I'd point you to um, uh, a book called The Call, written by Os Guinness. Guinness is spelled just like the beer. His family did the beer. He doesn't, I think. 
or maybe he does, but Askenis writes a number of great books. The Call is one of them that I can actually understand. Most of his are so far over my head, but The Call is very good. And it was, it was written 12, 15 years ago, but it's very, very, very good book to, to read, so I'd encourage you to dig in that. So this means you need to craft your preparedness around your call. Well, how are you going to know what your call is if you haven't really unpacked this? Fortunately, you can do things that help you prepare. You don't have to just sit there and be stagnant. You know, my, I'm in this prepare category, and then I'm in the serve category. You don't have to just sit there and be stagnant until you are prepared. When am I going to be prepared enough to respond to God's call? It's, a, it, it's pretty much constant. You're always preparing, and you're always responding to God's call. I know a couple who are serving long-term internationally. They started by doing some short-term trips a few short-term trips, and then they did a few four- to six-month-long trips. Then they came back here. They got some targeted graduate training, some very specific graduate training. They did some work here in the U.S. that increased their familiarity and their experience with certain aspects of international development work. Then they went overseas long-term. They learned the local language and culture, spent a year in in, uh, intensive language learning just, to, just enough so that they could get out and, and start to be functional. Uh, kids came along uh, during this time, and, but they, they are planning on a 20-plus year uh, period of service overseas. I think they're about seven years into that right now of their overseas piece, and they're pushing 40, I think, really, really, really young. Um, but they've been working on this for 20 years. They've been working on this essentially since college. And uh, so that's about four to six years of very intensive planning and doing before going, but it included short-term teams. It included some long, some mid-range teams. It included uh, more training. It included more experience. So it's not I'm going to train and train and train, get a little experience, pay off my loans, and then I'm going to go. It's, it's a cycle of, of uh, train, prepare, go come back, get some more training, some more experience, go, and just keep doing that. So, so each type of service that you do, whether that's serving your spouse or, or serving long-term overseas, each of those service opportunities should be considered with this kind of intentionality. It should be chosen with this kind of intentionality. Now, the place to start is with some self-examination. So what is your level of preparedness where do you need to grow? By the way, all of us need to grow. Even Cal needs to grow. All the time. What's your level of spiritual maturity? How do you know? If you asked a close friend what your level of spiritual maturity is, you have thick skin, you're ready to hear that? Well, we can fortunately talk about some self-assessment that you can do in the privacy of your own study room with the scripture and your computer, and we'll go get into that a little bit more. But before we go to studying, doing self-assessment with your computer, let's first look at that book in front of you, which would be the scriptures, and we're going to look at a passage in Hebrews 5 and 6. There's an unnecessary chapter break between Hebrews 5 and 6, and... This says, it's paraphrased up on the screen, but concerning him, concerning Melchizedek, we have much to say. And it is hard to explain, 
since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to spoon feed you, to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you've come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he or she is an infant. Solid food is for the mature, who because of practice, practice doing things because of practice, have their senses trained to discern, to discern good and evil. Therefore, because of all this stuff in the verses that we just read, therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ. And when you look at what the elementary teaching about the Christ is, there's some pretty deep stuff there, but, but the writer of Hebrews says these are elementary teachings. Let's leave those because we, you should have a solid foundation. Press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of these elementary teachings about Christ. Repentance from dead works. Anybody got any dead works I need to repent from? I'll raise my hand first. Uh, of faith towards God. Anybody struggle with their faith? Of instruction about washings and laying on of hands and resurrection of dead and eternal judgment. Those are elementary teachings. And this we will do if God permits. So these warnings deal with our actions in relation to the word of God. We've been taught, and now we need to act like we have been taught. We've heard the word of God. We're clearly expected to heed it. So earlier in Hebrews, Hebrews is a great book to read again and again and again, kind of like Askenos. It takes more than one reading and being well caffeinated. Um, Hebrews in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, were cautioned against drifting. You could say a lot of the book of Hebrews is don't drift, don't fall away from your faith. And then we're cautioned about against disbelief in, in uh, chapter 3. This warning is not about drifting or dis- disbelief. This warning is against immaturity. The advanced exposition here in verses... Maturity, the advanced um, exposition that it's talking, that the author is talking about, the writer is talking about, about him we have much to say, for which they're not ready is given later in Hebrews. It's given in in chapters seven through ten, and it regards Christ's priesthood and Christ's sacrifice. And boy, when you start reading about Christ's priesthood and what he is as um, as the high priest, and we are a kingdom of priests, and his sacrifice. Oh, the book, the song, oh, the deep, 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 deep love of Jesus will become so much more real. I mean, I knew, I, I, um, I understood when I, was, when I was born. I was born at a very young age, and uh, I didn't understand much, but I was hungry. And I and my mama fed me, and I was messy, and my mama cleaned me, and I cried, and she loved me. And then as I grew, um, within a few years, I cried for other reasons, because I did some things that needed some guidance and correction. So I understood love from the per, from the perspective of total 
provision, because my mom did that. My mom was the epitome of love. And then when I was uh, seven years old in Sunday school, Mrs. Ernest told us about Jesus Christ and explained about his sacrifice and what he would do. And I said, this is a good deal because I understood punishment. I had a lot of experience with punishment. And I said, this is a get out of spanking free card. At seven years old, I didn't understand normative dispensationalism or double imputation or anything like that, but I understood hide tanning because I had been tanned plenty of times. But then when, when, and my sister and I both walked forward on that Valentine's Day and when I was seven years old, and, and, but I had a seven-year-old understanding of, of what that meant. But then in the next decade and since then, I started to, read and study and understand more and more about Christ's priesthood, what he really did for me. When you understand grace, you'll understand this. When you understand grace, please explain it to me. Extravagant Grace, a book out there by Barb Duguid. Her name's not spelled like it sounds. Extravagant Grace. Read it again and again and again. It's kind of sort of an exposition on John Newton, the Amazing Grace guy, um, but she goes much, much deeper than that. And you'll, it'll, it'll scrape a few layers of grace off so that you can understand a little bit more. But those are the advanced, you know, um, about him we have much to say. So I would really encourage you to dig in there. Um, so the audience here, the audience in, in that the author of Hebrews is targeting, they have indeed been well taught. Because he says, by this time, you ought to be teachers. It's not that by this time you've heard this and you should be incorporating it. You should be the next step. You ought to be teachers. The audience is sufficiently mature to understand the advanced things of Christ, but they're not. For some reason, they're not. So are you? Are you mature? Do you understand and respond to teachings from the scripture. This passage in Hebrews is a statement of irony. I get in trouble sometimes with uh, someone to whom I, with whom I am very close about being skeptical and cynical and ironic and all in conversation. But this, I, I use scripture as my justification. There's a lot of irony and um, some cynicism that Christ used, this is a statement of irony to shame the readers, to shame the readers and restore them to a stance of conviction and boldness that's consistent with their experience and is consistent with the hope that they should have. So Hebrews provides quite a bit of comparison and contrast between mature and immature believers. Immature believers unable to understand sound doctrine sound teaching. Therefore, this is the bad part of that, they're unable to pass it on. Now, if you're going to serve God, do you think you need to be able to pass on these teachings? Yes, absolutely. So that maturity is key. When we fail to pass on what we know, we begin to lose what we know. You can't pass it on if you, haven't, if you don't really know it, understand it, and have incorporated it. Eventually, we may need to learn and relearn the most basic Teachings. So if you are preparing to serve God with your life and with your healthcare skills, a few of the basics 
include recognition, recognizing and understanding sound teaching and sound doctrine and being able to pass it on. Remember one of those little commands, like the principal command in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, is make disciples. How are you going to make disciples? You've got to be able to teach. You've got to be able to take people to the foot of the cross. Immature believers are learners only, and their learning ability is questioned because they've not incorporated into their life, into their lives, what they've already been taught. They're dull of hearing. Sunday school becomes dull. Preaching becomes dull. Anything spiritual is dull. The problem, though, is usually not with the teacher or the preacher, but with the believer themselves. They're slow in development. They're out of practice. Lazy, sluggards, slothful. I've seen some passages about that. This happens due to failure to try. To try repeatedly and apply more advanced truth. So it takes work to do this. They're regressing in maturity to the point of recognized deficiencies. The author here can look at them and say, you're deficient. You're hard of hearing. You're dull of hearing. You need somebody to teach you basic principles. I've got to get out the bottle of milk and give you milk again because you can't handle the prime rib or the avocados if you're a vegetarian. I can assure you that not very many mission boards or team leaders in the field want someone like this on their short-term, mid-term, or long-term team. They don't want people who are dull of hearing. They want people who are really prepared, who are really working. This is a recipe for divisiveness and early departure when you have people who are out of practice, who are regressing. Mature believers, on the other hand, are receptive and responsive to the guiding and direction of the Holy Spirit. They're selfless servants. They're experienced, wise teachers, and they're discerning. Their senses are trained to recognize good and evil. They're able to listen to someone teaching, and they're able to discern whether that person is being true to the scriptures. They're proactive, and they're striving to improve. So that's a mature believer. I know team leaders in the field who would give important parts of their body for people like this on their teams. The remedy is work. It's effort. We should receive and we should respond appropriately to revealed truths in the scriptures. And yes, I'm probably going to hogtie myself before too long. That's in Hebrews 5.14. We should receive and respond appropriately to this revealed truth. We should develop a zeal for what we realize in the scripture. We should realize the hope that's there and we should respond appropriately to it. We should develop a zeal for that hope and then with unwavering faith and steadfast endurance. It's a lot of work. Let's look at a few areas as examples. So we're going to unpack this a little bit more and get real specific. So I've got... I've got in here three keys to service is what I'm calling them. Here they are. There's personal identity in Christ, personal dependence on Christ, and personal modeling of Christ. So personal identity in Christ. What's your identity? Is it all about me or is it all about him? I have been told that this is an issue that's particularly relevant to people who are in the millennial generation. I know it's not fair to those of you who are. I know 
uh, number of folks who are, what's a millennial, up to 35, 36 nowadays? Um, I know some people who are, who are very selfless in that age group who are very much breaking the mold of that un, uh, inappropriate uh, broad stroke painting that says people are too focused on themselves. But your personal identity in Christ, what does that look like? Are you prepared to, to fall back on your identity in Christ to undergo the spiritual attacks that are common while serving? If you start serving with us, we, you're going to have a big orange target painted on your back. And the deceiver will begin to, tar- to target you. He'll talk, target your self-confidence. He'll target your self-esteem. may target you physically, attack your, your relationships, your marriage, um, and so the bottom line is, will you stand firm or are you going to yield to the flaming darts of the evil one? You've probably read that somewhere. That would be in Ephesians 6. I'd encourage you to grab the book Spiritual Warfare by Ray Steadman. <coughs> Ray Steadman wrote this decades ago. It's an outstanding book on really unpacking and applying the truths of, spiritual, of the protections we have in spiritual warfare in Ephesians 6. Do you need to be in a mentoring relationship with a more mature someone in order to solidify your identity in Christ? Let me rephrase that. You need to be in a mentoring relationship with someone with gray hair in order to solidify your identity in Christ. You need to find somebody who's a generation ahead of you, who's got gray hair or no hair, Wow. <laughs> because there's so much going on inside the brain because of the high levels of maturity. That must be it. But you need to be in a mentoring relationship with somebody who's a generation ahead. You need to give them permission. You need to beg them to speak into your life and to be transparent with them so that, and ask them to call you out on areas. You need to buy them coffee because they'll need it to be awake because they're so old. But you buy them a little bit of coffee and ask them to speak into your life. And that mentoring relationship is key. That's called discipleship. And then you need to get in that same relationship with somebody who's, who's uh, less mature with you. Um, how are you going to survive when you really begin to get attacked by the deceiver? You've got to be ready for that because it will come. Common attacks, discouragement, doubt. Depression, anxiety, frustration, anger, divisiveness, marital discord. Every fi- ever feel any of those? Yeah, me too. So personal identity in Christ. Your identity in Christ is absolutely key. I know a couple who just came back because they didn't have a solid identity in Christ. They were focused on themselves. They were focused on the struggles that they had. And there was some anger involved. There was some significant issues involved. And there was a lot of divisiveness in the field where they were working. And they left. So that is a a really foundational key. So personal identity in Christ. Second one's personal dependence on Christ. So this is a little bit of a takeoff on what we just talked about. But when struggling, when attacked, you get wobbly. You question your faith. Or do you throw yourself on Christ's strength and promises? Um, I read a book recently 
uh, I don't remember who it was by, so sorry. Just positive, loosey-goosey thought here. This person, the assumption was made that this, this person was told, well, as you are old, get older and older and, and more um, experienced in your walk with Christ and your dependence on Christ, you'll sin less, right? Wrong. But what you do when you sin, you dive to the foot of the cross. You realize how lost you are, how evil the basis of your, the basics of your heart is, and you just fall so quickly on the foot at, at the foot of the cross. And this is an issue that's not of particular relevance to millennials. It's us baby boot. Us baby boomers, because we tend to have more creature comforts. And so once we start getting a little bit out of our comfort zone, oh, the water, the hot water ran out, or oh, the house is too hot, or the house is too cold, or the house is too noisy, or there's too much traffic, or, you know, we're so comfortable in our lifestyle. So so um, those of us who are in that baby boomer uh, area. We need to ask if our lifestyle really demonstrates generosity. Does our lifestyle demonstrate service? Does it demonstrate sacrifice? Are we able to persevere in times of want? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words, oh yes, by the way, words do hurt me. And I'll bet relative poverty will hurt me and you also. Are you going to get wobbly when your health fails? So those are all things, personal dependence on Christ. And then the third area here is personal modeling of Christ. When people see you, do they see Christ? Is your lifestyle a barrier? Studies show that one of the biggest barriers to non-Christians coming to Christ is Christians. Are your words a barrier? Is your hypocrisy a barrier? Are you prepared to live out Christ in word and in deed? Are you able to winsomely introduce Christ into a conversation with someone who's not a follower of Christ without building barriers? It doesn't mean thump them on the left and then give them an uppercut in the right. It means winsome. That means scratch their itch. So I was in a uh, country uh, last uh, last June that is here on the map. And um, you may not be able to read the type, but you can look at the name of the country on the lower left and the name of the country directly to the north. And in that little tiny corner in the upper right, you can see exactly where this country is. And the east part of this country is a separate province that is being fought over a lot. And we were there. Uh, If you see on this slide, you can see a blow-up of the area on the right. And uh, see that brown area in the middle on the right? That is the area that the country to the east has troops in. And um, just two months before we were there, they had a little little tiff, a little war. And um, the newspaper said it lasted for two days. It actually lasted for about six weeks. The newspaper said a couple dozen troops got killed. 1,500 troops got killed. And we were in that city just to the northwest of, the, of that line. When we were driving to that city, we had to be very careful not to go straight, but we had to turn left and then go around it because we were, we were usually about 100 to 400 meters away from the border. 
uh, where the uh, the other guys were. And while we were there, I, I, I saw a, uh, a young lady, a 28-year-old fourth grade school teacher. And she came in and she said that her problem was that she couldn't sleep. She was worried about an invasion across the border again. She had fear. She needed hope. She came right in and said, I can't sleep. I'm fearful. Those are red flags saying, here's an area that we can talk about. We can talk about fear. We can talk about relief from fear. Psalm 91 is particularly focused in on this. I, I uh, fell back. My mom kept... Uh, Reminding me about Psalm 91.5, I will fear neither the arrows of the day or the terror at night, something like that. Because I slept through the rockets, the rocket attacks when I was in Afghanistan for a year. Psalm 62, the uh, first few verses of Psalm 62, which I don't have in front of me, but um, can someone read the first two verses of Psalm 62? He alone is my rock, my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. And then four verses later, it's the exact same verse, except it says, I shall not be shaken. It's stronger because he's, as, he, as he focuses on God being his rock, his salvation, his fortress, I will not be shaken. That is a tremendous uh, reassurance to provide hope. So are you able to work effectively across the cultural and worldview barriers that you will encounter when you serve? Would you like to learn how to work effectively across cultural and worldview barriers? We'll start by looking around you. Do you ever see any international students? You should be. There are all over the place, and they are great targets of opportunity. University towns have become target-rich environments for finding international folks where you can get to know them. You can learn to sit on the floor with your shoes off and eat couscous with your right hand, not with your left hand, and just get to know people. And don't thump them. Just get to know them and be friendly. And God will open doors It's cheap. You don't have to travel far. You'll get free food. You can provide them with Bluebell ice cream. They don't get that probably where they are unless they're going, unless they're from Texas. So where you serve and what you do there should match your point of spiritual maturity. And then it should spur you on to spiritual growth. Once you feel that you've made it, then you probably need to put yourself under the authority of someone with gray hair. And, and re-review that so that they can correct you if you think you've made it. All this means that how you go with what kind of expectations and planned relationships is as important as where you go. Are you going to go as a follower or a leader? Well, you need to be prepared to do both because you'll revert 
back and forth depending on the setting. Are you going to go to serve the in-country team wherever you go? You should be. If you are the in-country team, then who are you serving? So all kinds of questions about uh, how you really work your your identity in Christ, your service to Christ, with actually getting out on the field. Are you joyfully going to follow direction and redirection even if you're prepared to do something different? You're going to do A, and you, the need is to do B, and you've got to be prepared to do that. So let's talk about a few practical steps now. For long-term service, if you're pretty sure that you're going to do some long, some kind of long-term medical missions, long-term healthcare missions, there are a few things that you need to expect right up front. Expect number one is intentional individual spiritual preparation. And we've talked about that a lot because that's very, very, very important. Language preparation is important. Where you're going to learn your language, what language you're going to learn, you know, that really depends on where you're going to go. But learning a language, learning any language is a first big step. My son did a uh, semester abroad in college in Beirut. And he, he said, this is amazing. Everyone here speaks at least three languages. He speaks English. So he, that was, that was mind-broadening. It kicked open his brain to say, hey, I need to start to communicate in another language. Um, you can actually learn to learn a language. There are, there's some language learning stuff out there that, that can increase your ability to hear different sounds, that are very important in learning languages. There's cultural preparation. There's a lot of stuff out there on cultural preparation. There's simple stuff, and there's more complex. The, the uh, book that I recommend for just cultural preparation 101, or maybe it's even 001, remedial cultural preparation, is, is called From Foreign to Familiar by Sarah Leister, Listener, something like that. But if you just look on Amazon and or Google from foreign to familiar. She talks about hot cultures. She talks about cold cultures. The U.S. in general is a cold culture, except in the South, and it's a hot culture. So it's a, it's a lot of fun to read that, and you'll apply it immediately. It's a quick read, a very, very good. Lots of other stuff if you're interested. Let me know. Uh, you, you should expect that kind of cultural preparation. That's going to get much more specific as you focus in on a certain country. Ongoing mentoring and monitoring on the field. If you're going long-term, you're going to be mentored carefully, and you're going to be monitored carefully. And then you're going to get training in security. You're going to get training in crisis management. Now, sending organizations, missionary sending organizations, have a, have a very defined process and a defined scheduling for managing all of these. So you certainly want to look carefully at at uh, the sending organization you're, you're thinking of. I know of one sending organization who can get people on the field in about four months, two, two three, four months. And, um, and I, I was talking to a couple who had gone with this organization to a certain country, and they had lasted just two years and came back, and they were very, very, very frustrated. And as I talked through what was the prep, what was the frustration it was clear that they tried to do a shortcut on a lot of this preparation. They went with expectations that were unrealistic, and those expectations were shown to be unrealistic. So, so um, it takes some time to go to prepare and to go. That couple that I mentioned earlier, they had prepared for 10 to 12 years before they finally went and put their 
put their roots down. And you know what one of the huge issues is on the field these days? Besides interpersonal conflict, besides individual conflict, those are big. Those are big issues. The number one reason that people come back is conflict in the team. Well, the, um, a really big one is sex and pornography. It's just too easy to access. It's easier and easier and easier to access. It's free. So it's just, it's just a real big issue. So expect proactive monitoring. And you should probably start it now. And it isn't just guys. So, because I, I talked to a few of my friends who are overseas doing with long-term teams. They're leading up some of these long-term. They're the leaders in particular areas. And they're saying right off the bat, this is, this is, it's in the top two for just about everyone. So this is what I recommend as you first get started. Number one is you get back into the scriptures. You work on the basics of your life with Christ. You develop your skills and your experience in personal advantage, uh, personal evangelism. Number two is I recommend that you get a copy of the Missional Life book. You got a free book in your bag that's this Missional Life journal. And two or three years ago, if you came, you got a copy of the Missional Life book. So these two go together. There's a picture of this inside this. Um, These are available at the CMDA bookstore. Um, you get it free with any purchase. I just happen to have a bunch on my desk, and if I can sneak you one when our bookstore manager isn't looking, she'll take my hideout, but that's right, I pay her for these, so it's okay. And full disclosure, I wrote a chapter in here. It's terrible. You can skip it, but there's some real good stuff for preparing. And then the journal, so they're companion books. So these, this is very good for, um, for getting started on things. There's a great definition of a missional life inside, inside the, uh, the book. The definition is a life surrendered to Christ for service in line with the Great Commission, following wherever and however that may unfold. It's marked by a deep commitment and obedience governed by a close relationship with Christ to closely listen, continually hear, and to follow through. So I would uh, encourage you to, to get those and start. It's airport reading. You can read on the way home. They're very short chapters, barely 500 words, uh, but there's some good action steps, some good calls to action. Next, I'd encourage you to learn more about missions. Take the perspectives course. The, it's, it's sponsored by the Center for World Christian says movement. I think that's it. And the course is called Perspectives on the World Christian Movement. You can see the, the website there. You'll learn to work with people that are different than you. You'll get exposed to that in the course, but the key is to really do that. You want to learn to uh, work with people that are different from you. I hang around with people that are usually middle, middle class, white, had the same kind of education experience with me. I've got to learn to work with other people than that, people from different educational levels, different economic levels, different language, different culture. That's huge when you're out on the field. We went somewhere recently where we went in the same country. It's just a 10-hour ferry ride from one place to another, 
but one guy had a uh, different education, economic level. They spoke the same language, but they were they could have they were from almost more different cultures than me to one of them. That's that's within the same within the same uh, country, and then do some short term. Service, get involved in short-term medical missions, start with areas that may be of interest, maybe human trafficking, it may be poverty. There are lots of passion areas on the medicalmissions.com website. If you haven't signed up and created a personal profile, go ahead and do that. They've got, I think they've got computers down in the lobby for that. But then there are, there are like 20 different passion areas. You can do domestic work, you can do international work, but get out there and start doing some things. You pick your, you need to pick your organization carefully. I gave you a, a bad example of an organization that kind of sort of helped long-termers go, and they kind of let them go a little bit too quickly. Short-term programs like I run, we rarely have an intensive program of spiritual formation and of imparting cultural intelligence. Um, I use opportunities like this to help short-termers get prepared. Most short-termers are just-in-time participants. They may have never been out of Kansas. And then they get on the plane Saturday morning. Sometimes they don't open their emails did you know that some of you millennials don't read emails? We have had three or four people in the last two years who have missed their flight because they didn't open the email that came to them three weeks earlier with their itinerary. And then they opened it and found out that their domestic flight had just left. That's very expensive. Uh, a good short-term medical missions program puts parameters in place to work with the experienced short-term worker. We do that. We are helping you, helping protect you from yourselves, and we're also working to protect the nationals from you as you grow into this. We want it to work for everyone. Um, I had a friend who mentioned that a short-term team came and spent the summer with them for a couple of months with a different uh, couple in their same country. And these... these uh, Short-termers who were college age or a little bit after that were sitting in the airport on the way out in this country and were just a little bit loose with their lips. We're talking about what, they, what had happened. And then they posted some things on Facebook when they got back home. And the long-term team had to leave the country because their cover was blown. So you've got to learn about that security. We will protect you when you go with us. Um, I actually review anything you're going to post on as a photo or, I mean, as a picture or as a testimony, as a story. Um, you send it, and, and then we review it before it goes, it goes up. It's, I mean, one of my biggest prob problem children is well over 60, and he just goes nuts on Facebook. And I sent a note back and said, does your national partner, did, did he give you the okay to post stuff like this? And, of course, I copied the national partner and the team leader because neither of them knew that this guy had, had done this. It came down within two hours. But, unfortunately, once it's up on Facebook, it's, it's like the Hotel California. It's very hard to get rid of. Lots of, uh, lots of short-term workers out there. Many, some of them are considering long-term service, and that's great. Some of them have a desire to serve. Many have a desire to serve. They want to steward the resources that are entrusted to them by the master. That's very laudable, and I certainly encourage that. They're uh, responding to a call um, to missions of some type. They're interested in adventure. They're interested in variety, a change of scenery. Sometimes some are motivated by guilt. It's dif difficult, if not impossible, to actually discern these motivations. So I just assume that everybody is 
has got one or one or many of these, and um, and so we just focus in on on preparation and then moving moving in the right direction. But the short-term agency and its team leaders are responsible for all these types of people, and there will be all these types of people on your team when you when you serve with this organization. So we're so we manage that. If you go with a short-term organization again, so what I'm encouraging is to really be be discerning, be careful with the with the group that you uh, you go with. Um, so. Since we're rapidly running low, there was one key that I wanted to show you. There's my gong. So a few more comments, and then I'm going to show you one last assessment tool. Um, what are you actually going to do when you go with your healthcare tools? What's important? How can you, as a healthcare worker, meet the Great Commission? Two different perspectives. One is that medical work is a humanitarian service given to men. That's true. The work is done in the name of Christ. The Christian witness is to practice the highest level of scientific medicine possible. Hmm. Is your discernment red flag going up a little bit over that sentence? It ought to. The spiritual discussions and the question of conversion are best left to the missionary evangelist or the hospital chaplain. Another perspective considers patients as a captive audience for evangelism. Medicine's a gift of God to be used to attract people to hear the preaching of the gospel in the hope of introducing the conversion, inducing the conversion of patients. And scientific medicine is merely a means to an end. So those are kind of two extremes. And I tried to put enough words in there that you'd see that those are both extremes and they're both wrong. So the question is, are medical missions an either-or proposition? Do you go one way or do you go to the other? So back, way back, before most of you were born, in 1967, um, Almquist wrote in an article called Scientific Medicine in a Pre-Scientific Culture. He pointed out that this is a fallacy, the either-or Proposition: Either we deliver high-quality scientific medical care or we evangelize to meet spiritual needs. He said that this represents the prostitution of the practice of medicine. Those are fighting words. I don't want to go out there and be a whore for the practice of medicine. Why? Well, look back at the patient and his cultural context. One patient may, may come in with worms and he needs his hernia fixed or he can't sleep, needs a tranquilizer. But we need to be aware that our patient may simultaneously be hyponourished, parasitized, detribalized. Maybe he's, on the, he's being, being pushed out of his tribe and sinful. And what's he in need of? Well, he's certainly in need of protein. He's in need of instruction and hygiene. He's also in need of acceptance into a new community life. And he's in need of a savior. So we need to approach every patient with the bio, psycho, social, spiritual, whole person approach that we've been taught in our medical training. You can't leave some of it behind just because you may not be comfortable with it. You need to get comfortable with it. You need to get comfortable with treating each patient as a person and understand the cultural dynamics in which they live and that from which we come because they're here and we're there, and we're trying to look at their culture. 
In African culture, for example, family is emphasized. Man is community. The community includes the living. The community includes the dead. And the community includes the divinities, the spirits, the gods. Sickness may be, may be caused by a curse, or it may be a visitation by the shade of some neglected relative, or it may be by someone's sins. The African healer uses supernatural means to effect a cure, even though his medicine may not be wholly supernatural. Some remedies may be in accord with scientific medicine as we know it. Western culture, it's the individual. It's not that whole family. It's not that whole culture. It's just the individual. So cultural intelligence is crucial. Nida said that every missionary must be able to lead people to the cross and on to, perf- to personal victory over sin. The experienced, truly successful, truly prepared cross-cultural medical missionary knows that so many of people's woes come from sins of the heart and not the ignorance of the mind. Despite pressing medical requirements, despite that line of 300 people that's waiting to be seen, the effective, truly effective cross-cultural medical missionary takes time to deal with, with people's spiritual needs. I was asked once, how much time should I spend with each patient? Well, I said as long as it takes. The Holy Spirit will let you. I do three minutes per patient, and I do 45 minutes per patient. And when they come in and sit down, I don't know which category they're going to be in. She told me, well, I asked this another doc, and he said, well, how much time did Jesus spend with the 5,000? Well, who was Jesus really talking to at the 5,000? He was talking to 12 guys. His audience was 12 guys. He spent a lot of time with those 12 guys. How much time did he spend with the woman at the well? He spent long enough with the woman at the well to get to her soul issue. So let me finish with this, uh, with a practical self-assessment tool, if I can find it. This is a uh, tool that you can use to see where you are and to see what steps to take to get better. You can develop your own get well plan. And this is back from perspectives that I mentioned already. Um, Once you tell you what, this is not going to be, I want just that. Let's just go back and try to get online and do it that way. So you take the perspectives course and then you go to their website and you click on alum in the upper menu bar. This is moving like a pig. We may or may not get there. But when you look at the menu bar, there you can see a little bit more. There is this um, alumni Area. So you click on alumni, and then that takes you to um, this page where it says alumni next steps. And you don't actually have to have a log on, so you guys can do this now, even though you 
haven't, you may not have taken the perspectives course. And you go to this life after perspectives. And so you click on that. And after you've clicked on life after perspectives, then you see this screen and you scroll down to this study guide and you download the entire study guide. And when you do that, you get this 150-page PDF called Life After Perspectives. And you go to this self-assessment guide for aspiring cross-cultural workers on page 77. And then when you go to page 77, here's a self-assessment for aspiring cross-cultural ministries. The primary areas of competence include character, skills, and knowledge. So there's some fine print. And then... Nobody sees your completed self-assessment except you and the gray-haired person or bald person you share it with. And then you go through here, and there you go. You start checking blocks. Where are you in your assurance of personal salvation on a scale of one to four? One, hey, yeah, I'm pretty sure I got it. Sit down with me, and we'll talk about that, of course, if you check one on all these. But you can check on a scale of one to four. And look at all these in spiritual. There are 17. And then that has a way where you can check up. You can multiply all of these, see where you are, give yourself a little rating. You do that in spiritual. You do that in personal. I'm 30 seconds over, aren't I? You do that in interpersonal. You do that in intercultural. You do that in ministry, organizational, professional. Have I pointed out that this is free? This is free. Um, take advantage of this. And then there is a get well guide at the end where you look at every one of these areas. Okay, here, area of growth, suggested action steps and resources. Remember, the first one was spiritual, assurance of spiritual salvation. Here are some things you can do. Pick a couple of these suggested growth steps. Memorize Romans 10, 9, and 10. Write out your testimony. Go to BibleGateway.com. Click on the topical Index to enter assurance. Study, study every one of these passages. Talk with your pastor about everything. Every one of those five pages of little check blocks has a little description of this. Did I mention it's free? Okay. So um, there's, there's no kidding. There's some good stuff out there to, uh, to help you with this. So, so who has taken perspectives? Of course. a target-rich environment. It happens every spring. It starts in January. It's usually one night a week. You can actually do it online, but there's a lot of benefit from doing it in person. The book is about this thick. If you're crazy, if you need college credit, you can get college credit, pay more money for it, do a little bit more work. But it's essentially January through May. It's a lot of time commitment. It's a great course, and so I highly recommend it. So I fear that I'm not doing my best in serving God in short-term medical missions. I fear that I'm taking shortcuts. I fear that I may bring shame on the name of the Lord. I fear, like in Malachi 1, that I may profane his table by offering blind and lame sacrifices. I may say that I'm doing my best when I'm not really doing my best because I don't want to get uncomfortable. I don't want to really look at where I am. I don't want to talk to other people. So, 
there are plenty of motivations or plenty of very clear exhortations to do better, to really prepare. So I really strongly encourage you guys to do that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for making it so easy to obey you because of the hope that we have in you. I thank you that at times it seems so hard to obey you, but that you provide the means to obey you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for calling us to you. Thank you for redeeming us. Thank you for charging us with the responsibility and giving us the massive blessing to be used to glorify you. May you cause that growth in us, deepen our desire to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen.